Good morning. Our special offering this morning is for church budget, and all loose offering will also go towards the uh, church budget. I was listening to uh, National Public Radio yesterday, and they were talking about a gentleman who had just filled out his uh, income taxes for the IR, IRS. And uh, he wrote them a letter, and he said, when I was filling out my taxes, I unreported, underreported my income, and I haven't been able to sleep all week. So he said, I am enclosing a check for $150 to you to make up for it. But then he added, if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. I hope that's not how we make out our tithe and offering each week. The Bible has a lot to say about money. There are over 2,350 verses that pertain to money and possessions. That, that addresses about everything that you need to know about how to handle your money. Many people are experiencing financial challenges, such as uh, excess uh, credit cards and debt, a frustrating job, or inadequate savings. Recent surveys have found that over half of all divorces, all divorces are the result of financial pressures at home. The Bible is a blueprint for handling your finances. God wants us to return one-tenth of our increases, that's all what we earn, to him in the form of tithe. And the reason is, is so that he can bless us. On the front of your envelope is a quote from Malachi th chapter 3, verse 10. And if you have your envelopes in front of you, or you can get one in the pew in front of you, I'd like you to take that out and read along with me. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that you will not have room enough for it. But many will say at times, I just can't afford to pay tithe or offerings. I have to pay my bills and everything else. But this is why God says, trust me. I know I am talking to many here that are already very trusting to God and trust God very faithfully on it. But I think there are probably some of us here that would be blessed a lot more if they trusted God more. Giving to God is actually an act of worship. God wants us to be faithful in everything that we end up doing. The deacons will now wait upon us to pick up our ties and authorities.
That was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah. When they got done at first service, I said, do it again, do it again. And uh, so they did. <laughs> but I guess that was scheduled. But that wasn't, I like to think it was because I said that, but I think it was already scheduled. That was wonderful, wasn't it? Wow. Just makes you feel good. Well, I'm very grateful for my uh, mother-in-law this morning. I know you love it when I point you out. But I'm very grateful for my mother-in-law this morning um, because uh, if it weren't for her, I wouldn't have any family here at all today. Uh, an awe would be appropriate at that point, I would think. But uh, see, mom and dad went to California, so they're not here. And, and uh, Arielle went with a friend, so she's not here. And Aaron had something to do at Spring Meadows today, so he's not here. And Gable and Nathan went with Alicia today. And, and so it was just me, but it's not just that... It's not just that she came here to be here as well, which is so nice, but also made me food since I'm going to be on my own at lunch as well. So yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I got an awesome life, my wife, life, all of it. I'm not going to lie about it. I've also worked hard to have that awesome life, and it's hard work every day. But nonetheless, I, I mention this because I'm really proud of Alicia and what she's doing. She's actually at the... Uh, uh, Florida Hospital Diversity and Inclusion Sabbath event at Patmos Chapel. She's speaking down there today. We didn't tell you last week because I thought you all might go, and then there wouldn't be anybody here. So, uh, but now it's probably too late, so don't bother getting up and going now. Uh, she's probably almost done. So, so you'll just have to look for that online. But no, I'm really proud that uh, they invited her to do that, and that she's able to do that, and that... Uh, I'm still going to survive, even though she won't be there for lunch. I'm, I'm cared for, so. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day, for the blessings we have already experienced. Now, Lord, 
Speak to us your words, from your word, and if there's anything that I would say this day useful, Lord, bring it home to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 John chapter 2 is where we'll begin today. 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. Now, if you read that, that might seem a little confusing. Uh, Okay, I'm not giving you a new command, but in a way, it is a new command. The reason this is true is because the old command came before Jesus, and after Jesus, even the old commands are new. And so even though what John is going to talk about here has been said before, yet somehow, after Jesus, it's all new. Jesus has come into the world, and and in him he has established the reign of God. He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has come, and Jesus has come and has brought the kingdom. Yet not everyone yet is ready to live as a part of that kingdom. There is light, and there is darkness. But for those who live in the light of Jesus, everything is new. He goes on, verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Based on this text, if you took a look at your life, would you say, I'm living in the light, or would you say, I'm living in the darkness? We've established a theme for this year, engage, and and we have some new toys this week. Their gears, what does that have to do with anything? Well, I'll tell you what it has to do with anything. When the church becomes engaged, engaged within the family, engaged within the church family, and engaged outside of here, then the wheels of God's kingdom begin to turn, and great things are done in the world in the name of Jesus. But if we don't engage, the wheels stay still, or even worse, The wheels might become completely separated if they aren't engaged. Then the wheels don't turn. Within a healthy church, there is engagement. We're continuing on today what we started at the beginning of this year, uh, talking about being engaged, and I've appreciated the last three weeks, the different folks we've had speaking. Elder Tim Goff, who's here today, appreciate you speaking a couple weeks ago. I know everyone was very much blessed. And then the different ones over the last couple weeks, the good job that's been done here. But now we have two more topics we need to deal with 
As we get into this year of engagement, we talked about being engaged in our families. Today we're going to be talking about being engaged within our community as a church. And then next Sabbath we're going to talk about engagement outside of this bundle, to use Pastor Patty's term. A healthy church is engaged in all of these areas. And, and what might a healthy church look like? Well, you could probably describe it a lot of ways, but there is one place where there is an excellent description of what I believe was a very healthy church. And I want to go there and read this. This is from Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, we find this description of the early believers. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to suggest to you that this is what a healthy church looks like. But I also want to ask you, did you notice one of the themes that keeps coming out in this text? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship, that's something we do together, right? It goes on, it says, everyone was filled with awe, but then it said all the believers were together. And then it says every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. Our experience of faith is not supposed to be a solo adventure. Now that's not to say that there isn't great value in sometimes getting off by ourselves and having a singular intensive encounter with God. But even God himself exists in community and he has called us to believe in community. What he has said to us is, Come together. There will be times to be alone, but there will be far more times when we are to worship and live and believe together. Think about the things that appear in this description. We have, we have these followers, these believers, devoted to the teaching, and that is so critical for us. We need to be devoted to, to our Bible study and to times of learning and, and to listening to those that God has appointed in the various venues of our life to teaching. We must be devoted to that. But right after that was devotion to fellowship. And then a devotion to, to communion, to a breaking of bread. And this is related to the idea of when we celebrate the Lord's Supper and how important that service is and that we participate, and devoted to prayer. And it says, there were many great signs and wonders. 
These early believers also had an accountable system by which they could meet the needs of the different ones within the community. A system where when we look at it, we might think, well, that's not really long-term sustainable. Eventually, everybody sells off all the assets and there's nothing left. Well, okay. But yeah, remember, Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 anyway, so maybe we shouldn't worry so much about how they set it up, huh? Maybe we should listen when God says to be a bit more free in what we give away. They gave priority to being together. And then they did this crazy thing. They shared meals in one another's homes. Now, I don't know what your family's like, but it's become uncommon when even everybody in my family shares a meal at the house because we're here and we're there and we're picking it up on the way and and it's just so busy. Well, you know what? I think one of the saddest things that's happened to us as a result of this day when we can so easily go here and there and do this and that is the fact that we're just never home anymore. We're not together. And not only are we not home, if we're not there, we're sure not going to have anybody over to be together with us. In fact, it's become for us difficult to even be together one time a week. We're so busy. Yet the description of this healthy church says they daily got together at the temple. What were the results? It says that the Lord blessed them and daily added to their numbers. So as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about it in my mind and I'm thinking, how much of this could we actually recreate if we tried? Here's the thing about that. The answer to this is, on the one hand, it would be pretty easy to recreate, and on the other hand, it would essentially be impossible to recreate. Because this sort of a community could be recreated by one or two simple decisions that we all would make. Simple decisions that say, instead of this, I'm gonna have this. Instead of working extra, I'm gonna connect with family. Instead of running after entertainment, I'm gonna gather with other believers. These are decisions we could make. Instead of living that far away, I'm gonna move closer. How crazy would that be? But we could make these decisions. But they'd be hard to make, wouldn't they? It would be hard the way our lives are now, to make the decisions that would enable me to have people over for dinner on a regular basis, enable me to go and spend time with others. This engagement, this togetherness, it's hard to do, but it's so important. I've told you over the last couple years a number of stories that come out of a a two-year span of my life when Alicia and I, after we'd been married, were living in Paducah, Kentucky. The reason I keep going back there is not because I don't have any good stories from any other time, but but because those two years of, of my life were very pivotal to where I am today. 
And I failed to mention it first service, and I should mention this again in case you've missed the other stories. At that point in my life, I was still normal. I wasn't a pastor or anything. I was just a normal person, working as a chemical engineer, trying to decide on Sabbath morning if it was worth getting up and going to church. We were in our 20s, 25-ish, I think. We were unconnected, and we were marginally committed to what was left over of a healthy faith from our childhood. Dare, dare we say you could have called us typical at that point. But there was just enough in us that caused us to go to that little church in Paducah, Kentucky that sits beside the road, that driving by it, you wouldn't think, boy, I've got to go in there sometime. But we went in and discovered we had almost nothing in common with anyone there. To go back to what Pastor Patty was talking about, you had the bundle, and then Alicia and I were these sticks just kind of hanging out over here. Completely different color, completely different shape even. What in the world were we doing there? But you know what those people did? They picked us up and put us in their bundle. Now, there's an important point here. They didn't just love us conceptually because by us attending, we decrease the overall average age of those in attendance. We got to make sure we hang on to them. They make us look younger. Now, we get messed up on how we think sometimes, don't we? They didn't do that because somehow we made their data look better. For whatever reason, they looked at us and said, here's a couple of people that we want to love. And they loved us actively, not just a concept. As John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Need an example? Here we go, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. You want to know how to do love right? Here you go. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? There's a lot of ways you can look at that last verse. One of them absolutely means if we are blessed, we have a responsibility to be a blessing. Another way you can look at it is when a stranger comes into your presence and near your bundle, you have something to give. Reach out and put them in your bundle. You see, it's possible for us to become too comfortable. The bundle is great, but sometimes it gets a little too exclusive. You see, you have everything you need. You've got your circle of friends. You've got your belongings. You even have a worship service exactly when you want it where they only sing songs you like. And this is probably the only service we can say that in right now. It's your bundle. 
But what about the outsider? And I don't just mean the outsider outside of the room. What about the outsider down the row from you right now? No bundle for them. You know, it even looks like they may not be from around here. Certainly not anyone I know. Probably someone very much like Alicia and I all those years ago. Sometimes I wonder what might have become of us if that little church community hadn't worked so hard to add us to their bundle. Because I'll tell you what, I, I wasn't easy to convince. There's a lot of responsibility when you start participating. But they worked hard. And they invited us to things. And they opened their homes to us. And they acted like they loved us. You know what? I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't even an act. I think they did. You have no idea what might happen when you reach out to add someone to your bundle. Brother Marion Kidder is a member of our church here. Are you here at third today, brother? Are you here? No. He wasn't at first either today, so, so he's away. But he was a pastor. I don't know if you know the story. He had no idea the long-lasting impact that would result years ago when he added a certain young man to the bundle of the church he pastored. A certain young man maybe you've heard of. His name was Mark Finley. Is that familiar? He was once a stick by himself. And one of the members of this church worked with him and joined him with God's people. And he went on to do great things for the Lord. There's a new pastor at Crest Memorial just across town here. His name's Pastor Nate. I got to know Pastor Nate. He grew up in the Boston area. And there were points in his life where, where things were getting pretty rough. And in fact, he was trying to crawl out of the Adventist bundle he'd been a part of and into some other bundles that he shouldn't have been uh, involved with at all and, and had kind of gotten to that point to where everybody knew he wasn't living right. Everybody knew he wasn't doing the right things. But there was one lady who was a part of that church and even though she never saw him on Sabbath, if she ever did run into him, for example, like at the grocery store, you know what she would do? She would run up to this kid, wrap her arms around him and say, oh, Nady, Nady, Nady. She would not let him out of the bundle. And that worked on his heart. And by the grace of God, he's now a pastor in our conference. Alicia and I, Mark Finley, Pastor Nate, look around you. Who here might one day tell the same story with you as the hero? Wouldn't that be neat? And who knows? The one you reach out for today might one day become the one who reaches out to you in your moment of crisis. Or maybe the one you reach out to today will be the one who reaches out in love to the one you love 
that you can no longer reach. God loves to work that way. We'll talk more about that next week. But all of this starts, all of this engagement begins when we add each other to our bundles. And we do that when we learn what love is. 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It's really painfully obvious, isn't it? You want a little how-to list to go with this idea of love, of, of what it might look like if, if we were engaged, if we were adding each other to our bundles, if we were living in love? It would look like this, Ephesians 4, verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbors, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Let me promise you something. It's not a promise you want. Being a part of the church means occasionally you will get offended. Occasionally someone will be mean to you. Occasionally something will happen in a way you don't want it to happen, and you will be justified to be angry. I'm not telling you there won't be times when you are justifiably angry about what happens in an interaction within the church. It will happen. But in your anger, do not sin. And do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Why? Because if you go to bed mad enough nights in a row, the devil gets a foothold in your life. And if the devil gets a foothold in your life and you are a part of this body, then he has a foothold in this church as well. Verse 28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Okay, a minute ago we, we talked about how to love means to be willing to give of what we have to those in need. And that goes to those who have. That is your rebuke, if you will. But now we have to complete this picture. Okay? If you find yourself habitually in need from the others of the church and not doing what you need to do to get out of that situation, but instead perpetuating the cycle again and again and again, it is as though you are stealing from your brothers and sisters. It is your responsibility after being helped to get back on your feet and start taking care of yourself so well that now you have enough to give to the next person in need. The church has not done you a favor if all we've done is continued to give you handouts and enabled you to continue in a destructive lifestyle. 
Yes, it is the responsibility of those with possessions to give, but it is also the responsibility of those who have come on hard times to thankfully receive and then get going and doing something useful. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as, Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is what an engaged church does. Now, I want you to do something here. I want you to look around you. Go ahead, look around. You can turn your head. Look around behind you. Look at all the people around you. Look at all these different faces. You know, you can sit in church the whole time and not even see anybody, but look around. Look around you, all these different people. You know who these people are? These are the people you love. Maybe you didn't know that. I'm happy to tell you that today. <laughs> these are the people that God has put in your bundle. And what a waste if you're living your life in this place not loving those people. These are the people you love. So why not start fellowshipping with the people you love? You know, one of the blessings of this day is that you look at the church in Acts, there really aren't any of those things on that list that are illegal for us to do, are they? We're allowed to come and gather. We're allowed to invite one another over to each other's homes and share a meal. We're allowed to pray. And should God's power and His Spirit break out, we'd be allowed to do signs and wonders too. To have this wealth available to us, to have a place full of people that we love and somehow be lonely or somehow miss out on the opportunity. What a tragic story. That God would surround us with abundance and we would live in soul poverty. You know, this idea of connecting with each other this idea of being engaged, of loving. To be like this is not just recommended by the Bible. It's commanded by Jesus. John 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a command. And it's a command that when we have fulfilled it and we have loved each other, it is a command that becomes our identity. So who are we? What is our identity? Well, we're Seventh-day Adventists, and that's a cool identity. There's nothing wrong with the Seventh-day distinctive identity. That's an awesome identity. And there's nothing wrong with the Adventist identity, the idea that Jesus is coming again identity. Those are wonderful things. But here's the thing. 
That's not what makes us Christian. That's what makes us Seventh-day Adventist Christian. What makes us Christian? Verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We could keep Sabbath perfect and we could tell everyone we met that Jesus was coming again. But if we didn't treat each other with love, no one would believe we were Christian. To be engaged within. Let's not miss any more time. Let's start adding people to our bundle. Let's remember, these are the people I love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have shown your love for us by being our, our constant companion, encouragement, redirector, whatever we've needed. You've sent Jesus to die for our sins and to be our king. And you have sent your Holy Spirit to live in our hearts and enable us. Lord, you've also surrounded us with each other in this place. Truly, you have given us great wealth and benefits. Father, help us not to live in poverty, but to be engaged and to love one another. In Jesus' name, amen.